Welcome back to Snares Book Prep Uncovered, the podcast where we talk with staff, pupils and parents to understand more about life at the school. Each episode, I'm joined by Ralph Dalton, head teacher at the school, and together we speak to a guest, so it's a bit of a three-way conversation. In this episode, we speak to Steph from the school, who is head of computing at Snaresbrook. But first of all, Ralph, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm great. Um, at the time of recording, we are a week out of, uh, on, on the sort of a week following the sort of relaxation of some rules from the mm-hmm. roadmap, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's step one. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It uh, all seems pretty much like it was before, actually. But, um, yeah, no, I think we're all feeling good. So we're recording this on a Thursday. How does a typical Thursday look for you? Uh, a typical Thursday? Um, well, it starts with the forecall, as always. Uh, then it will be a number of meetings. So today I'm with you. Um, if not, it could be um, with, we're currently trying to improve our management information system. Mm-hmm. Uh, so recently it's been quite a lot of meetings around that. Um, otherwise, it'll be meeting with teachers and you know checking planning and stuff like that. So, Ralph, tell us a little bit about Steph uh, and why you needed to employ somebody like her. Well, so computing forms part of the national curriculum. Uh, so, your you know the choice as a school is whether you have a specialist to do that or whether class teachers do it. Mm-hmm. Um, we always had a, a, a specialist here, and uh, they they were looking to retire, and so we you know we decided to replace them like mm. for like with another specialist. Mm-hmm. What I was particularly keen on finding was a primary school teacher who also specialised in computing because okay. often the computing specialist at a lot of schools was either, I mean, if you went back 15 years mm-hmm. or even 20 years, it was often somebody who had really good office skills, who'd learnt the word processor. Mm. When uh, Microsoft Office came out, they mm. knew how to operate, you know, at least three of the packages, maybe yeah. not all four. Yeah. Um, and you know, teachers at that time could barely operate a photocopying machine. Uh, so, and some of them were still on the, I don't know, the old fashioned yeah. photocopying machine. So um, that person then became the computing specialist. And then in around about 2010, 2012, I'm not exactly sure, people started to say, well, actually, computing is more than just teaching children to use Word. Mm. Um, it should be about coding and it should be about um, logical um, you know, programming and debugging and some of these other skills. Uh, so the the curriculum was updated. So it was really important to find somebody who who a could teach coding to a really good level. But mm-hmm. I was really keen that also because I think technology is woven throughout our lives to find somebody actually who was a primary school teacher who mm-hmm. would know how that would also look in other subjects and so that um, you know could um, computing wasn't something that was just a singular subject okay makes perfect sense should we bring her in now and talk to her i, I think so that sounds like a great idea all right let's do that now steph thanks for coming on to this podcast episode how are you doing today hi um yeah really good today uh, this is actually a welcome break from doing all my cleaning and my jobs that I do when I'm not in school. Okay, so you're, you're at home at the moment then. Uh, yes. Tell us about home life, as in where you are and whether you're married with children. Uh, so I live at home with my partner and my son. He's four, so I tend to try out all my nursery learning on him. So he's very good on the computers. 
and he's been recently playing with some Lego that I've been trying him out on as well so he's quite a good experiment for me um, and yeah and tell us a little bit about how long you've been at the school for and how you ended up at Snaresbrook Prep. So uh, I've been at Snaresbrook Prep for a year and a half. So the two COVID years that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been good fun. Um, and before that, I was a, a teacher at another school for 16 years um, where I did uh, computing and music and languages as well as being a class teacher. So I was, I was in quite a few different roles. And um, I met Ralph through uh, my other half, my partner, and um, found out about the job at Snaresbrook Prep. Um, and that's how I came to, to be here. And you said computing, maths and languages. Is that right? That's an interesting music combination. Music and languages, yeah. Oh, okay, computing, <laughs> music and languages. Yes. That's an interesting combination. Tell us a bit more <laughs> about that. So um, when I was a, a trainee teacher, um, my school had a computing consultant at it. It was our borough consultant. So I shadowed him for a number of years and became the, the computing lead there. Um, but I also have music in my sort of hobbies. And so when our music lead left at that school, I was asked to take over music, but it was then also lumped with modern foreign languages as well, because <laughs> nobody, nobody was uh, skilled enough to do that um, and lead that topic. So yeah, that's how I came with a bit of a mixed bag. <laughs> and then your role at Snaresbrook Prep, in a nutshell, what would you say that is? My role at Snaresbrook is to lead computing. So I teach all the computing lessons, but I also feel that it's part of my role to lead all the other teachers in their computing skills as well, make sure that computing is embedded across the curriculum. Um, it's one of the, the aims I had, that it's not just a specialist subject that's taught as a single entity, that um, those skills are then transferred into their other lessons, which is incredibly important in terms of technology being involved in everything now. So your teaching role then is partly for children and partly for staff at the school, is that right? Yes, I do spend a lot of my non-teaching time popping into other people's classrooms and and helping out with issues, yeah. And what kind of issues do people sometimes need a bit of help with? It's mainly just using the software and finding the tools. They know they might have seen somebody else doing something and they, our staff are incredibly keen to learn. They want to um, see what other people are doing and, and use the good tools they see other people doing. So um, a lot of the time they'll say, I saw somebody doing this, can you show me where that is or where to find it? Or I used to use something and I can't find it anymore because um, software changes, apps change all the time, there's always updates going on. So um, yeah, the, uh, that tends to be the, the help that I'm giving. I don't know if Steph will mind me saying this, but um, I think she was intram- instrumental in sort of our lockdown. She was always popping up going, oh, Google has just changed this. Oh, Google Meets now does this, or um, which is really helpful. There was a, um, an incredible amount of change. All, all the um, online platforms suddenly had to update themselves and give teachers what they wanted um, because suddenly everybody was at home and where they maybe had a, a five-year plan, it suddenly became a three-month plan and everything had to be changed. But it did mean that the teachers had to cope with an incredible amount of change. Um, as soon as they got used to something, it changed and it updated and and so there was, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of oh by the way, this isn't there anymore. It's somewhere else. A lot of security, but really good features as well. So, mm. um, a lot of things that made our teaching easier and more secure for the children. So, 
it was really good big big time of change Steph do you think it's quite good in many ways that teachers had this sort of thrust upon them in a you know with with I was going to say uh, short notice with kind of no notice as opposed to (laughs) teachers being told like five years in advance that this was going to be happening and then five years being spent arguing about it procrastinating and pushing back but actually just to have to get on and do it what are your thoughts on that believe it or not in 2009 I think it was I uh, was training my old school staff in something called Fronter which is an online platform designed for online learning and we did about three years really integrating it in and then like a lot of things it it sort of fizzled out because no one was really using it um, because they didn't need to use it Hmm. and then here we are 10 years later oh yeah we need an online learning platform so it was there was a lot of schools that had bits and pieces in place but it hadn't ever fully been used and i mean in some ways that's fairly to some degree similar you know we had the google classroom we were using it internally we were using it in key stage two a lot more than in key stage one because it naturally suits key stage two more than key stage one but that did mean that we were in a position to maybe move more quickly than other uh, schools that didn't have yes. that sort of infrastructure or that tradition. And staff who were comfortable, so you know, our, our Key Stage 2 staff are a lot more comfortable maybe than our uh, you know, early, uh, early years staff. But as Steph said, people are so keen to learn from each other and so happy to support each other that that made that sort of learning a bit easier. We were incredibly lucky because we have a few online platforms that we use, like the Google Classroom, uh, Two Simples, Purple Mash, and those things helped us to to integrate onto, onto online learning really, really quickly. We also very quickly just bought a load as well. It was like, you know, you know, I, I remember thinking in sort of January, February, oh, hang on, what's going on? You know, would we would we really? do what China did and close our schools because that just seemed inconceivable it seemed inconceivable to me I don't know mm-hmm. if everybody else was it was more likely but um, I thought well what would we do if we did and I thought well we'd, we'll go and buy that one and we'll it up you know we'll make that one available to all classes and mm-hmm. it was a it was an interesting couple of months wasn't it <laughs> Steph let's just take it then back to the classroom take it back to the children in a school environment children need to learn about maths because there is various elements of maths that they don't know they need to learn about things in history because there's various elements of history that they don't know what would you say to a parent that says well computing is just something that surrounds children at home in their everyday lives anyway do they actually need to learn computing in schools when it naturally happens what would you say to them yes (laughs) absolute (laughs) resounding yes um so one of the first things I did when I joined Snaresbrook Prep was was look at the, the curriculum and look at the objectives. And there's this, um, so the, the computing curriculum had a, a, mad, a, a, a radical makeover um, a couple of years ago um, when the new curriculum came in. And uh, one of the things that they did was, the government did was they separated it into three strands. So okay. mm-hmm. there's one strand uh, which was the um, computer science was the one that struck fear into all the teachers' hearts because it was coding, okay. <laughs> which is actually one of the most fun fun parts. Yeah. Um, digital literacy, which encompasses all the online safety, what's acceptable behaviour, but also network and communication, which seems quite full on for sort of key stage one to be learning about networks, but mm-hmm. we do. Um, and also then the information technology, which is the side of it which 
um, most people remember learning at school. So the word processing, um, mm. it basically um, encompasses combining, collecting, evaluating, designing, creating. So all of the things that actually we learn at school as part of computing. Mm. And what I then did was I looked at how those topics could be used in terms of the other curriculum areas as well. Because like you say, the children have to learn maths, they have to learn science, they have to learn English. But computing is all that as well. So recently I've been doing data handling in quite a few of the year groups and that's it's all their maths. And then um, science comes into it uh, a lot. And then English with presenting and speaking and listening and the typing. Um, so it does actually touch on so many other areas of the curriculum as well. But also it teaches perseverance, it teaches problem solving, teamwork, um, and that comes into it an incredible amount, especially the perseverance, especially in coding. You know, they, they have these amazing ideas that they want to put on the screen and they get so frustrated when they can't get them to work. And it's, it's all about decomposing, breaking up their ideas into really small pieces, which they never want to do. I mean, if you think about, um, if, uh, if people are listening have got their own children, they'll know that they, they just want to get to the end and mm. have the results straight away. They don't want to break it down into manageable pieces, whether it's mm. getting changed into their clothes in the morning, whatever it is, they want it to happen now. <laughs> and, and that is a big problem in computing, especially in the coding. So it's getting the children to slow down, think through the processes, break things down. And I think that helps with all of their other work as well. And yes, technology surrounds them, but do they know all the purposes of technology as well? So mm. we do units now on photography, videography, digital animation. Um, year five at the moment are learning 3D design. Um, so looking at architecture, um, as well as the coding side of things like the games testing. Year two are doing a brilliant unit at the moment, which they're loving on games testing. Um, so actually understanding what has to be done in order to create a game. Um, and the, all of these things lead into so many different careers. It's, it's so exciting, the sorts of possibilities that could be opened up if they really enjoy one of these units of work as well. Um, so it's quite surprising what they, what they really enjoy in computing and, and how much it teaches them. Um, I, I have spoken to people who think that um, our nursery reception children are already quite good on computers, and I do think it's because sometimes the parents aren't as, as confident as the children. Um, but you can still find things that surprise them. So my reception class were very surprised a few weeks ago when they found out that if they keep on typing in a text box, the words will move on to the next line all by themselves. <laughs> so they don't know it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steph, tell me something about the gender balance then in class. I mean, is, is there a higher level of excitement with girls or boys in class when it comes to computing or is it just equal? There's a little bit of a mix. It depends what topic we're doing. Um, but gender balance is something I've been interested in for a long time. I was um, involved in a government pilot years ago, I think back in sort of 2005, um, for computer clubs that were aimed at girls. Um, because there is a, a lower percentage of women in technology jobs, in STEM jobs. And I know that science and maths, are, are, they're trying to re the government are trying to increase initiatives to, to bring females into those, those areas of work. And computing is one of them. Um, one of the things that uh, Ralph and I have been working on this year is to prepare ourselves to take part in three research projects that are happening. Um, one was actually supposed to be going on at the moment but got delayed because of Covid so they're all happening in September um, all at the same time um, but the, they're being run by the Raspberry Pi Foundation 
um, and it's called Gender Balance Research in Computing. And um, one of the projects is uh, being done by Year 5, and the idea is to look at a sense of belonging in computing and technology jobs. Okay. So um, I'll be doing a unit of work with Year 5, um, which is looking at encouraging the engagement of all the children, um, but particularly the girls, and also encouraging them to see how relevant it is to them. Mm -hmm. um, in year four, we're going to be um, taking part in a project all about the teaching approach. So this is going to be very much aimed at me rather than the children and, and how my teaching approach encourages the girls and boys to both engage in the computing work. Mm -hmm. And then we're also going to be doing one with an extracurricular club that's based on coding, um, which is the non-formal learning research. Um, and looking at how girls engage in a, in a coding club um, and what kind of resources can encourage that. But the idea behind all of this is to engage all the children as well as specifically the girls. And to, for me, it's going to be really important. I'm, I'm particularly looking forward to the teaching approach one to see if there's anything that I can share with other colleagues because I don't think this is just relevant to computing. I think with, with any class, not just at Snaresbrook, but with any class of children, there is that tendency, especially as the children get older, to gravitate towards their own genders. So um, as soon as you say, right, get into groups, you suddenly get little pockets of girls and little pockets of boys who don't yeah. want to work together. And I think this, all of this research is going to help us look at, into different ways of getting the children to actually work more as a team. And I've, I've seen that in uh, PE teaching, computing, music, lots and lots of different areas where more teamwork is involved and the children need to be encouraged to be more collaborative. Do you think there's a responsibility on some of these big companies, big tech companies like Facebook and Google and, you know, and Apple to an extent as well to, to promote the, a correct gender balance in those industries? I think it's really difficult. I mean, if you look at... I've, I've read lots of articles all about you know, gender clothing, gender toys, um, all of those things. And you can see some developments like Lego bringing out their Lego Friends collection. But I was a bit sceptical about it because it's all pastel colours and girls having coffee together. And, and is that what the girls need in order to see their route into computing? I'm, mm. I'm not sure it is. Mm. It's not about making computing girly. It's about showing the girls that they have a place in computing. Mm. And I think, I think that's different. I, I heard it was actually a football player, um, a female football player talking about um, she was the first Scottish. She, she will be the, the first Scottish uh, female to play in a Champions League final or something. And she just used the phrase, um, you can't be it if you can't see it. And I think that's, you know, I thought that was a very simple way of expressing this idea of helping children to see themselves in all areas of life, mm. you know, and see people like themselves in all areas of life and also help them see um, people not like themselves in all areas of life. Because that's mm. the whole, for me, when we talk about diversity and inclusion as a society, um, if we're going to break down stereotypes, the more diverse the images you see and the people you meet in different roles, whatever they might be, um, the greater it is. And I, and I was really excited um, when to sort of come across this study, you know, and think, OK, we could have you know, a chance to learn here and see what we can do to promote 
this idea of girls being in computing because actually I think girls in computing have a long history. There's a long history of female um, input into computing and like a lot of um, probably female history, a lot of it has been, if, if not unrecorded or unrecognised and unrecorded, certainly unreported. So, you know, it goes right back to the, you know, you know if you've seen the, the, the film Hidden Figures. I mean, even the term computing, I believe, comes from the type of role that women performed where they would enter the punch cards and, you know, set up the systems. They were called the computers. That's what they, they did, I believe. I might have got this slightly wrong. Again, um, I have a very superficial um, knowledge of this part of history. But I, I'm just so grateful to Steph. Um, again, I hope she won't mind me saying this publicly, but I'm so grateful for her to just... She takes everything on. You know, I come up with, come to her with these ideas, and she's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. You know, it's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I just... I just uh, it's... Yeah, no, I'm just very, very grateful to Steph and really excited to see where, where, where this goes and what we learn and what we can improve as a result of it. And if you don't mind me saying, I mean, I totally agree with what Ralph was saying about exposing the children to different avenues. I mean, I grew up, my mum and dad are both teachers. So, hello, <laughs> I'm a teacher. <laughs> it's, it kind of, I've, I didn't fall into it as such, but I, it was what I knew. And I think there is that danger if, if the children don't know that these roles exist then they won't have this aspiration to become them. And I hope Ralph mm. doesn't mind me referencing his podcast in the police scuba diver. I thought that was brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant. But the children need to know that these these opportunities are there. So I always say to the children, you know, people make money out of photography. People make money out of being videographers, editing. I mean, podcasting. <laughs> you know, there's, there's so many opportunities there. And there's a lot of the children who who don't realise that all of these different um, ideas, um, the architecture with the, with the um, 3D design that we're doing at the moment as well, and, and engineering. And there's so many of our children that love Lego. And um, mm. I'm not sponsored by them, by the way. I'm <laughs> just a big fan. <laughs> but the children love it, and they don't realise that actually the skills that they're learning by doing Lego and designing and creating and testing have a, have an effect for them for later life and could actually lead into careers mm, um, mm. and I think that's incredibly important that, that we widen their their ideas um, there's an in, incredible amount of emphasis at the moment put on online youtubers and influencers and and those sorts of roles and they, they need to know that there's other there's other possibilities available yeah. to them yeah I was I mean I would always even broaden it a little bit more just from the careers I mean Steph's absolutely right in terms of the careers that are on offer and I think one of the things when the curriculum was revamped and the idea it was going to be on coding and people said yes because all you know coding is an important part of you know the career market well actually by the time our children get there the computers will do the coding I mean I think the average I read and this is a few years old so I don't know uh, again the current statistics this current figure but the average salary for a coder in Silicon Valley is $40,000 a year so actually it's not a very well paid job mm. so actually I don't think you know like a lot of education um, and certainly I would argue primary education it's more than just careers it's about showing children the the, the breadth of experiences there are out there mm. you know again in terms of you know my own personal thing you know I should have read philosophy at university that's what I would have loved to have learned about yeah I didn't do it because I didn't know about it 
I didn't know, and this is much to my shame, and I should be embarrassed to say this. Well, I don't know whether I should be embarrassed or whether the education system should be embarrassed, but mm. I didn't know there was such a thing until I was about 27, and I discovered it listening to Radio 4 In Our Time programmes and discovered that there were certain programmes that I enjoyed more than others and then sort of thought, well, what have all those got in common? You know, and it's the same with... You know, whether it's 3D printing. So my son at the moment at school, he's into drone flying and he's working out how to 3D print mounts for the camera or 3D print mounts for different um, motors mm. or 3D print um, lightsaber hilts. But that's a different that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> but, you know, it's but, but it's not again, it's not just this is not just true of computing. This could be any academic area mm. um, and that's what we're trying to do is give children this broad and balanced curriculum that exposes them to all the things in life that either might go on to form some key part of their personality and their enjoyment like you know Steph's reference to music and you know stuff like that that's that's part of you shouldn't do it for a career you don't do it for a career do you Steph it's not no. it's not what you do in the other days when you're not here <laughs> um, but you know you do it for fun uh, Steph, anything else to add to that before we bring this to a close? Well, I think Ralph touched on it a bit with the 3D printing. I mean, the, we don't know what the future is in computing. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is quite interesting because I was thinking about the questions that you might ask me and I thought, Ralph's going to want me to say, what's next? What are we doing next? <laughs> yeah. But if you actually Google what's the future of computing, it brings up articles from like 2013, 2015, when they were talking about this current curriculum. There is nothing about what's next. And I think a lot of it is because nobody knows. And when I really dug deep, there was there were lots of different ideas. So there's things like um, the um, OLED displays, the flexi displays, and mm -hmm. this idea that children might have a screen that's as thin as paper that they can just put in their pocket and use in the classroom. Um, you know, that's really futuristic to me. Um, I grew up with Back to the Future and <laughs> floating hoverboards and things, you know. <laughs> so um, the 3D printing, the cloud computing, which we've been had thrust upon us through the pandem pandemic, um, motion sensing technology, so this idea that children might be able to control computers with their eyes, mm -hmm. um, the game-based learning with things like the Microsoft Connect, um, Adaptive learning systems are huge with the with the AI influence and, mm. and I think that's more of a, a tool for teachers than for children, but it's going to radically transform the way that learning is made specific for the child. But all of these things, what what is important to me out of everything is is the children's ability to cope with variety. Mm. Devices will change. Well, I use iPads, Chromebooks, and, and different different Chromebooks as well, different laptops with them, because every keyboard is different. Every keyboard has different buttons, different shortcuts. Um, if you go for a mobile device to a tablet to an iPad, they're all different. They all have different swipes, different buttons. It drives me mad. I, mm. I can never remember which one's which. But the ch it's important that the children experience that mm. and they experience different software. So we use three different coding softwares. We use different processing, uh, word processing softwares so, and different apps. So the, the children have experience with lots of different things and they have transferable skills so that when they do move on to, to secondary school mm -hmm. and into maybe colleges and universities, it doesn't matter what's thrown at them because they can handle it. Yeah. And I think that's that's the most important thing. And I just want to tell a little story. It's not actually from Snaresbrook Prep, but um, I was teaching a class once and I, I gave them a piece of software that they'd never, ever seen before. And mm -hmm. I said to them, 
you've got 20 minutes to work out what this does. I want you to just dive in. And I knew that there was nothing that they, they couldn't break the computers by doing this. Right. But they, I said, dive in. And one of the most successful children was the child who, amongst all the others, saying, I don't know what it does. Can you tell us? Can you tell us the answer? They found the question mark. They read the help guide. And they worked okay. it out within 10 minutes oh, what this wow. did and how to use it. And mm. I was like, there you go. That's, that's what we're aiming for. Someone that just knows where to find help, knows how to learn something really quickly. And that's, that's what we want the children to be able to do, to be able to pick up any software, any app, any device and say, I can figure this out. I can, I can use this. Mm. And ultimately, mm. that's, that's the tools that we need to give them. There's no point teaching them one specific program because it won't be there in 10 years time. No. Well, I think I think, Steph, actually, that story about, you know, find find the question mark and read the help guide. Actually, that's a, it's a that's, life lesson that's, for all of us. <laughs> that's what that's what we're trying to do. You know, we we're 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 cultivating this phrase, you know, you know, enabling the children to be able to do the right thing at the right time uh, for the right reason and in the right way. Um, and if we can teach children to find that help guide and and discover what needs to be done, no matter what area of life it is, then we'll, we'll have certainly been successful there. Mm. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> Steph, look, thanks for coming on to this episode. It's been really good talking to you. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much for inviting me. So that was Steph. Uh, Ralph, what did you think about that? Oh, it's... it's uh, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, uh, I, hopefully what comes across is... Steph's enthusiasm, uh, mm-hmm. I think, for teaching generally, and her enthusiasm for teaching computing and encouraging all to enjoy or experience or learn how they can use uh, technology. Mm-hmm. I also hope that her knowledge of computing and just how long she's been involved in sort of teaching children computing comes across. And it's it's really what we since 2018 when I arrived you know we really are looking for sort of to have research informed classroom practice Mm. and again when I interviewed Steph uh, that's what came across um, and her desire to keep learning as a teacher and to keep improving learning or facilitating learning with children Mm. um, and doing that through sort of you know a rigorous process of you know based on research um, Mm. So uh, I hope that comes across. I'm sure it did. Uh, I just loved her story about at the end there about the you know finding help when you need it because outside of the world of computing, surely that's a key no. to success in life, isn't it? You know, it's not what you know; it's knowing how to find out what you need to know at the time. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, in in some ways, the the evolving landscape of technology is perhaps a metaphor for the evolving landscape of you know our existence and we're not going to know what we're going to be faced with and Mm. actually if you're going to contribute um, positively and contribute the most positively it's probably going to be in areas where nobody has been there before because Mm. obviously if everybody's been there before that knowledge is probably fairly general yeah Um, so working out how to you know to make something work and looking at the resources that exist um, mm-hmm. are invaluable like I said I think in the, uh, in the interview you know part of the character education sort of process that we're starting here is is summed by you know doing the right thing at the right time mm-hmm. uh, for the right reasons and in the right way and that that really did speak to that I mean you asked Steph about you know what does the future of technology or the future of sort of computing education look like I mean I have to say I wonder whether it will look like I think some of the questions 
that need to be answered are how we how AI is going to affect our lives mm-hmm. as humans. Now, you know, we've we've already got computers starting to dictate or manage humans. So like Uber is an example of this. You go to the app and you say, I need to be picked up. And the app analyzes where all the drivers are. And then it sends a message to a human saying, could you go and collect another human? So we've already, we're already starting to see uh, computers managing humans. And we actually even, um, you know, we do this ourselves. You put into your sat-nav, you know, I need to go here to here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we then have to, well, we either then blindly follow the information yep. that's given to us, yep. um, or we try and interpret the information that's given to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's going to increasingly be um, something that we, that all our children are going to have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I think I read a book called Hello World, it's called, hang on, I'm just looking at it, by Hannah Fry. Um, and if I had to summarise, I think, the message, it's, it's really that, or the message that I took away from it is that all these sort of AI is all based on various algorithms, and the algorithms are only really as good, uh, maybe I shouldn't say good, but all the algorithms depend on the information that's put into them. And that determines the output. Now, if you as a human Mm -hmm. know the limits of either the data that was able to be collected Mm -hmm. to go into the algorithm or the limits of the way the algorithm can process Mm -hmm. that data, then you have a better ability to interpret the instruction it's giving you. Okay. Um, The book highlights that we have, as humans, we have a strange relationship with computers and AI. We either trust them implicitly, mm-hmm. um, and hence you get people who drive their cars into the sea. Yeah. And you think, well, did you not look? Yeah. And did you not think I should not go straight yeah. ahead? That's not right. Um, or we think, no, I can do better than that. I know better than you. Um, and I, I mean, I've had both these experiences following a sat nav. And what we need to do is learn actually when we are probably in a better place to make a decision and when we're not so Mm. you know um, Google probably has a much greater understanding of current traffic flow or likely traffic flow than I ever will yeah Um, and so actually I should probably trust it yeah but you may well know that that road that it's directing you down is filled with potholes and actually if you go down that road it might be uh, 60 seconds quicker but you're going to end up with three alloys which yes. Is repairing. Yes. So that and that might be it's a completely different choice that you make, and that's exactly mm. right. You, it hasn't got that data put into it. Mm. Um, but also, then you know, if you then look, um, you know, you, or you can choose a better um, program. You know, so like Waze, for example, actually also incorporates human um, data input. So if okay. there is a po- if there is a pot- pothole, you can go to Waze and you say, oh, pothole, or you can say, oh. Okay. oh uh, traffic lights, you know, roadworks, or actually mm. the road's really heavy at the moment, the traffic congestion. So you'll get Waze is getting live updates mm. from humans and this integration. So I think if, if we can teach our children, our children need to know about how AI is, you know, neural networks and how they work. And mm. I, I think that's where some of the education will go in the future. Mm. Mm. Um, I also think we need to consider the ethics. I think we will start to need to teach our children some of the ethics um, about, I was going to say decisions. I don't know if that's the right word, if you're talking about uh, an AI, but certainly the outputs it tells us. Um, So I think that's an area where we do or don't, or what we do or don't input in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other, I mean, this isn't something necessarily 
that I think will appear in terms of education, but it's an example of the type of issue that we need to be aware of. So there was a book written, and I forget, I've forgotten the, the author's name, but it's, it's, the book is called The Shallows. Mm-hmm. And it is a book that is, its basic premise is, since, Google, um, since Google's invention, if you like, you would think the number of citations in doctoral dissertations has gone up. You would think the ability to search the whole yeah. uh, of, man, of humankind's knowledge would lead to a, an increased diversity mm-hmm. of sort of citation. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, it's reduced. Okay. The citations being appearing in doctoral theses are, are less. And that's basically because everybody searches whatever it is they're researching they put mm-hmm. it into google and nobody goes beyond page two if you're lucky i mean okay. who goes below page you know return yeah. to let alone the bottom of the page yeah. yeah um and so what this is doing is actually um decreasing the diversity of ideas we're finding because what used to happen is you know i would be at one university and you'd be at your university and my university had its library and it had the stock of you know standard textbooks or yep. standard books on the thing like the first 10 returns on the google page but it also had some obscure dusty book that nobody'd ever looked at taking up as much space as the book that everybody does know about probably yes that's Mm. true that's interesting as well so you get that you know as one of the books you take out you take out that one and in that there's another obscure reference Uh, yeah and so you go off down that one as well and that takes you somewhere else and that randomness uh is being taken out um so uh, you know, Google is, I think their tagline is to um, organise the world's knowledge or something. Um, and it has done that, but it does so, there, there is a danger to that. Mm. Um, mm. So that's not really something I think, it's not like a, an educational thing we need to necessarily learn, but it, there, there are, we don't know what the issues are going to be as technology increases, mm. but it's, it's, it's going to be, we need to teach I don't know, maybe a more philosophical approach to technology. I think that could be a whole podcast episode in, on its own, couldn't it? I, I hope not with me, because I am now out of ideas. So that, that's me done. That's all I've got on this. Um, <laughs> that's all my thoughts. OK, well, look, let's bring this one to a close now. Uh, but for anyone listening who wants to find out anything more about the school any deeper, then just check out the school on social, whether it's Twitter or Facebook. Just search Snailsbrook Prep. And to stay up to date with the next episode that's coming out soon, be sure to follow this podcast channel. Then it just means that when the next episode is out, then you'll get a small notification just to let you know that it's there. But until then, thank you for listening to this episode and for listening to Steph. And we'll catch up with you next time. Bye for now. Ralph, do you want to say bye as well? Oh, yeah. Bye for now. (laughs) Bye for now. Bye-bye.